Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One of them, 500 denarii. The other, 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Gareth's uh, just uh, now. And let me encourage you to uh, turn back in the uh, service order to the reading uh, on pages two and three that um, Jody has just read for us. At this uh, point in the uh, service, we're going to look at uh, the Bible. Uh, so we've got a, one section of it in front of us there that we've had read for us. And the reason we do this is because we believe that uh, it's not important what I think, but what uh, the Bible says, because we think that is what God says to us today. And so I'm going to do my best to try and explain it to us uh, so that we would understand what he says to us uh, in this uh, very moment. So let me pray to that end now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the Bible. 
Uh, we thank you that it speaks amazing things of who you are and who we are and how we can be right with you. And we pray that we would grasp that, perhaps as never before, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me encourage you to look at uh, the bottom of uh, this, this reading and verse 48 again, where we read that Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. It's a shocking thing, isn't it? Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Of course, on the one hand, it's exactly the sort of thing we expect Jesus to say, but realise who he said it to, and it shocks most people to their boots. Jesus said these words to a prostitute, and people hate that about Jesus. It was, uh, I guess, about 20 years ago now. I'd not been a clergyman very long, and I was uh, talking about the Christian gospel to a couple who wanted to have their baby baptised. I explained that because of Jesus' death on the cross, we could be completely forgiven for anything and everything and have a fresh start with God. And then one of them, one of this couple said to me, are you saying that no matter how bad a person has been, they can be forgiven and go to heaven? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't it terrific news? To which they replied, no. What about the murderer and the terrorist? Surely you're not saying that they can be forgiven too. See, some people get really upset when they hear this about Jesus. And sometimes for good reason. I remember one man being put off Christianity because when he was away on business, his business associates went from the mass to the brothel, thinking their religious actions could atone for their sordid lifestyle. And he explained, I didn't go to the brothel with them, and so I didn't go to the the church with them either. Now, of course, if you think the Christian gospel teaches that because we can be forgiven anything, that gives us freedom to go and live how we like, then of course you won't like it. And let me say, I don't like that either. So what is going on here as Jesus forgives a woman of very dubious character? I think as we look at this amazing incident, there are three misunderstandings that are cleared up for us. Let's begin with the first. Some people think, I'm too bad to be forgiven. Indeed, a a young lass said exactly that to me a few years ago. She said, I can't come to God, I've been too bad. Well, let's look closely at this remarkable story. It begins in verse 36. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Uh, Nothing spectacular about that. Jesus is out to dinner with a Pharisee, a, a religious leader. But then into this dinner party crashes the most unwelcome visitor, Verse 37, when a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Now be under no illusions, this woman was a prostitute, known by all in the town and devastatingly for too many families, too many men of the town knew her only too well. After dark you'd find her standing on the curb dressed to kill, well dressed to seduce actually. That's who walked into this dinner party. And for us to be as shocked as we should be, we really must lose the image of the Hollywood, of the, the happy hooker, the, you know, the sort of picture portrayed by Hollywood in the film A Pretty Woman. I know it's quite old now. But in this film, the prostitute is attractive and, and warm-hearted. She's a sympathetic, stable character. We do well to lose that image straight away. We need to get streetwise. As we read the Bible, picture behind Jesus a woman with with caked up makeup, cheap jewellery, an unstable personality, and if you can bear the detail, the syphilitic sores, her arms scarred from the constant use of banned substances, and the haunting fear of AIDS written all over her face. 
Here was a hardened, cynical, toughened character. Life had knocked her back again and again and respectable men had used her and abused her again and again. If we can get that picture in our mind, we may begin to feel the shock and the overwhelming embarrassment, the complete outrage of this scene. When this woman walked in, this was no longer an ordinary dinner party. If it wasn't so serious, it would sound like the first line of a joke. Have you heard the one about the Pharisee, the prophet and the prostitute? But this is no laughing matter. Indeed, the scandal of what followed that day would have given the tabloids a field day. And what made this so shocking was not just that the prostitute gate crashed the party, but what she did while she was there. You see, verse 38, she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, and then she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. No, no doubt she'd a gate crashed many a party in her time, and like all good party-goers, she took a bottle to the party. This wasn't a bottle of plonk. No, she took a bottle of perfume and she poured it all over Jesus' feet. And then she undid the clip that held up her hair and as her hair tumbled down, she used it to dry Jesus' feet. And all the time, Jesus just sat there and let her. The whole time, Jesus reacts as if he's God's gift to her. Can you imagine the reaction? The embarrassed silence. The other guests tut-tutting muttering under their breath really i mean what what does she think she's doing can you imagine how the pharisee felt his dinner party ruined you ever ever ruined a dinner party i have uh, a a few years ago Um, as as we made our way from the lounge room to the dining room i really don't remember how the subject came up but i was happily telling our hosts how much i didn't like fish you know where this is going don't you I po- Do you want to hear the rest of the story? There's no point, really. I'd better tell you. As we, as we took our places at the table, I continued yapping on, totally oblivious to the hard stare that my wife was giving me. When that didn't work, she tried to change the subject, but still I continued to tell our host how much I didn't like almost all fish. Uh, I, I looked at her, um, and uh, when she started kicking me under the table, um, she looked at me, and then she looked at the plate in front of me, the plate of smoked salmon. You knew it was coming. Well, that we were with friends and after a bit of embarrassment, the evening was delightful. But you couldn't say this same thing about this dinner party, allowing a prostitute to wash your feet in the middle of your cocoa van. This was enough to make anyone choke on their prawn cocktail. It would even make a fruit salad stick in your throat. And frankly, this is too much for some. Surely you're not saying the murderer and the terrorist and the prostitute can come to Jesus and be forgiven. That I cannot accept. But you see, that is exactly what this is saying. That's how the story ends. That's the punchline. Verse 48, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And while it might be outrageous news for some, it's wonderfully good news for many others. If you think... I'm too bad to be forgiven, then this is very good news for you. For if this woman can be forgiven, having lived the lifestyle that she lived, then I can too. See, the Christian gospel is for people who know they've blown it. Now, for all I know, there may well be a prostitute here this evening. Someone who's sold their body for sex. I don't know if there is or not. I do know there'll be many here who've had sexual encounters of which they're terribly ashamed. Those who perhaps used a prostitute. 
those ensnared by pornography, perhaps on the net, others caught up in an adulterous affair. And those encounters would have left their mark. Sexual sin does that. The unwanted pregnancy, the abortion, the guilt, or or just the emptiness of having made something that's so special, so cheap. Uh, Listen, whatever it is, and, and whether it's sexual or not, can you see in this encounter that when you come to Jesus, you discover that nothing's too bad to be forgiven? And that's very good news because forgiveness is such a wonderful thing to know. In this film, Pretty Woman, there is a striking example of what can happen if we don't realise that we can be forgiven. Edward Lewis, played by Richard Gere, asked Vivian Ward, Julia Roberts, why she became a prostitute when she could be so much and do so much more with her life. And she says, if people put you down enough, you start to believe it. He tells her, I think you're a very bright, very special woman. To which she replies, the bad stuff is easier to believe. Have you ever noticed that? Well, some of you will have noticed that. And your life has been ruined by it. You've done bad stuff and now the bad stuff is easier to believe. Whatever you've been told in the past, whatever you've been told about yourself, whatever you've been told about Jesus, the bad news is easier to believe. But listen, the good news is much better to believe. And the good news of the Christian gospel is that anyone can come to Jesus and have the past completely wiped clean, have a fresh start. It's a wonderful thing. I know it's something Gareth discovered. He, he mentioned that at the beginning of the service. It's something I discovered. It's a wonderful thing. The first misunderstanding about God's grace, I'm too bad to be forgiven. And this Bible passage says, no, you're not. The second misunderstanding is the opposite, and it's this. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm good enough for God as I am. That, you see, is how the Pharisee thought. Let's pick up the story again over the page now. The dinner party's been wrecked and the Pharisee's behind himself. And he's thinking, surely Jesus can't be a prophet if he's letting this woman touch him. Do you see it there, verse 39? When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The Pharisee, this this respectable religious man, had invited Jesus to dinner because he thought he was a prophet, a special religious man. But now, well now, this whole affair called Jesus' credentials into question. More than one or two families in the town have been torn apart by this woman's handiwork. One of the most uh, disturbing experiences of my life was to visit a family just after the husband had admitted to an adulterous affair. As I walked in the house, the pain that his wife and teenage daughter were feeling was tangible. There was a dreadful tension in the air. His wife and daughter were distraught with a combination of disgust and disappointment. He sat in in the chair with his head bowed, couldn't look at them, couldn't look at me. Well, look, marriages had broken up after men had been lured into this woman's bedroom, spilling their lust under the seductive red light of her boudoir. So, of course, the Pharisee thought, if Jesus is a prophet, how can he allow this sort of behaviour? How can he allow this woman to touch him? I mean, God is pro-family, isn't he? And this woman had flouted God's law, hadn't she? So allowing him to, to her to do this calls Jesus credentials into question doesn't it but before you come to the same conclusion just read the next three words verse 40 Jesus answered him 
Now, isn't that astonishing? You see, the Pharisee hadn't uttered a word. Verse 39 was all going on in his head. See it there? He said to himself in verse 39, and verse 40, Jesus answered him. Now, that really is a shock. He said to himself, and Jesus answered him. Jesus knows what we're thinking. What a shock for the Pharisee. One minute concluding Jesus couldn't possibly be a prophet, the very next minute realising that Jesus knows everything he thought. That is very scary. Do you see what this means? If this is true, Jesus Christ knows the deepest thoughts of our hearts. He knows what makes us tick. He knows the motives that drive us. And he knows the thoughts of envy and greed and malice. He knows when we've wanted something bad to happen to somebody because they've crossed us. Does that happen to you? It happens to me. He's seen us lust after someone else's spouse. He knows what we think. And he knows what we think of him. Oh, this is very scary. And it's also now getting very personal for this Pharisee. Because when it's my thought life that's being listened to, I'm in very deep water. This is getting very personal for me because in here, in my head, in my thoughts, here I discover what I'm really like. Well, it does get personal. You see, until until this point, the Pharisee has remained nameless. We've only known him as one of the Pharisees. Now we learn his name because it's getting personal. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money, a certain money uh, to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? I don't know about you, I love travelling abroad. But I don't find it easy handling foreign money. I always feel such a numpty standing at the supermarket checkout, looking at the foreign coins in my hand and trying to find just the right money. Does that happen to you as well? There is me trying to work it out. How many, what do I have to give you? I always get a bit flustered looking at the price and trying to work out how much it is in pounds. I got an O-level in maths. It was one of only five O-levels I got, but I did get one. But as I stand there, I seem to lose all ability to to do what usually amounts to a pretty straightforward uh, calculation. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, and because I've had all week to work it out in a calculator in hand, allow me to be your currency converter when it comes to this little story in verses 40 and 41, 41 and 42. 50 denarii is about a month and a half's wages. The average salary in Britain is £26,000, so that's about £3,000. 500 denarii then is £30,000. So the amounts in verse 41 are not small sums. Verse 41, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him £30,000, the other £3,000. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Not a difficult question, is it? Even I could get that one, even with my five O levels. And Simon the Pharisee got it right. Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Straight to the top of the class, Simon. Of course, if you owed somebody £3,000 and you couldn't pay, and that person turned round one day and said, let's call it quits, you'd be very thankful to that man. I know I would. But if you owed him £30,000 and he wrote off the debt, well, you'd, you'd love him to bits, wouldn't you? He'd be top of my Christmas card list. The answer to Jesus' question is easy and obvious. You and I know the answer, and Simon the Pharisee knew the answer. But look at his reluctance to answer. End of verse 42, Jesus said, Now which of them will love him more? 
And verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. Now why on earth is he being so coy? Well, because it's getting very personal now. Jesus is not suddenly and out of the blue deciding to pursue a career as a financial consultant. He's not changed from prophet to banker. No, this is leading somewhere and Simon knew it. When Jesus tells a story about two people, up to this point, apart from Jesus, there's only been two people mentioned at the dinner party. Simon the Pharisee and the, prophet, and the, prof, and the prostitute. And Simon got the point. Simon, two people owed a debt. Simon, you're one of them. Simon, you're in debt. Simon, your spiritual bank balance is not in great shape, you know. Simon, you're a debtor. Simon, you're a sinner. Do you see it's getting personal? Simon was very religious and a very respectable man. Yet Jesus said, Simon, you're a sinner. Your debt may not be as great as the prostitute, but you're a spiritual debtor all the same. And we can bet our bottom dollar that if Jesus said that to Simon, he'd say it to every one of us here tonight. But of course, he's not very popular to talk like this. I read these words in the Sunday Times newspaper a few years back. People don't avoid sin anymore, they avoid being found out. A spot of adultery is okay as long as nobody gets hurt. Eating yourself stupid is fine as long as your stomach doesn't get fat and your face doesn't turn permanent brick red. And some sins aren't even wrong. Anger? Well, that's just good. Just letting off steam. Pride? We all need self-esteem. Envy? Gives you the urge to get on in life. Sins don't really exist as a serious idea in modern life. At best, they're a delicious tease. Well, that's absolutely right, isn't it? It's amazing to read it in the Sunday Times magazine, but it's spot on. Sin doesn't really exist as a serious thought in modern life. And especially among religious people and respectable people like Simon the Pharisee and like, may I say, you and me. We don't see ourselves as sinners because... Because like Simon the Pharisee, we can always find someone else who's a worse sinner than us, like this prostitute. I don't know whether it's the case for you, but it is for me. I can always find someone who's made a bigger mistake than me in life. And this is not very pleasant to admit, but I'm going to do it anyway. In a perverted way, I quite like it when others around me blow it. Because then I can point to their failings and it makes me look better. Does that happen to you as well? Do you see Jesus' point here? There may be people worse than me, but I'm still in Jesus' debt. So far in his debt, I'm up to my neck in it and I can't pay. And that's why Jesus told this little story in verses 41 and 42, to show Simon his debt, his sin. And Jesus says here, it's no good hiding behind respectability or religion. And it's not good comparing yourself to others in order to excuse yourself. It's a matter of it being between you and God. There are people then like the prostitute who feel that they're too bad for God to forgive them. They're not. And there are people like Simon the Pharisee who don't think they need God's forgiveness. They do. And then third and briefly, there's those who think that because Jesus offers forgiveness, they can live how they like. Well, they can't. Look with me at verse 44. Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, 
Do you see this woman? I love that. Do you see this woman? From the moment the prostitute had crashed her way into the dinner party, Simon hadn't been able to take his eyes off her. Did he see her? Of course he saw her. She was ruining his dinner party. But had he seen what she had done? That's the point. Verse 44. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. The point is this, she demonstrated her love for Jesus. And she loved him because she knew what it was to be forgiven by him. It turns out, you see, this woman had met Jesus before. Verse 48, where we read, your sins are forgiven, is not actually your sins are now at this moment forgiven, but rather your sins have been forgiven at some point in the recent past. She'd already met Jesus. And that meeting had changed everything. That's why she burst into this dinner party. Despite her sordid life, she'd met Jesus and she'd had the the slate wiped clean, the debt cancelled. And she was so bowled over by his love for her that she just wanted to love him back. Never mind that her actions were a scandal to anyone else. Never mind that others were embarrassed by her extravagant love. Jesus had given her forgiveness and she was overwhelmed by that. And of course it didn't enter her mind to go go back to prostitution. She'd been forgiven and having been forgiven she wouldn't go back into it any more than someone dragged from a swirling river would go and jump back into that. See, when you're forgiven by Jesus, you'll love Jesus and live differently because for Jesus to win us forgiveness costs him everything. Just a few years after this incident, Jesus died on a cross. Luke tells us about it later on in the gospel. Now, Jesus died on a cross and he did that in order to take the punishment that our sins deserve. As he died, Jesus said these words, it is finished. In the original, it's just one word. Tetelestai is the Greek word. It means it is paid. The debt has been cancelled. That's what he cried out as he died on the cross. So as Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay our spiritual debt. We owe a debt that we don't have the means to pay. So Jesus paid it for us. It's as if as he died on the cross, he took out a checkbook and wrote out a check for our debt. Except, of course, it wasn't writing out a check. It cost him his life. The cheque was signed in his blood. The price is paid, tetelestai, so forgiveness is free, but it isn't cheap. And anyone who really understands that can't just carry on as they always did. That's why going from the mass to the brothel is not Christianity. And when you know this forgiveness, it is life-changing, as it was for this woman. It is liberating. It means I'm right with God. And when I die, ready to meet him. So let me ask you this evening, do you want to know this forgiveness or were you saying, no, I'm not really bothered? I imagine there'll be a number here saying, you know, I never knew I could be forgiven. Yes, I do want to know this. You know, when you know it, it's like coming home, being accepted no matter what you've done. There'll be some here who do want to know it, but, uh, but you don't yet have enough information. You're saying, yeah, I'm really intrigued, but I need to know more. Well, Gareth has helpfully uh, pointed out this, this Easter card. We'd, we'd love you to come back at Easter. We can come back any Sunday, but to come back at Easter, 
hear more about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, if you will. Uh, But let me particularly say to you, why don't you think about doing one of these two things that are over the uh, other side of uh, this card? Uh, The friend who brought you will be able to tell you more about Christianity Explored and the Uncover. That would be a great thing to do. So if you're saying, I do want to know about this forgiveness, but, you know, I'm not really ready yet. Well, do one of those things. You know, there'll be others here, one or two here, maybe more. And you're saying, you know, I've, I've got enough information. I do want this. I want it so badly. And for you, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to tell you what prayer I'm going to pray so that you can decide whether you want to pray it. And then I'll pray it line by line. And if you want to join in, uh, then you can. You don't have to say it out loud because God uh, knows what we say in our, in our minds. We've already seen. He can hear our thoughts. And so if this is for you, you can say it line by line in your mind and God will hear you. This is the prayer. Before I pray it, so you know what I'm going to pray. It's going to go like this. Heavenly Father, thank you that whatever I've done, I can be forgiven. Thank you that for Jesus and for his death on the cross, paying the price for my sin. I turn to you now, making a fresh start and asking you to help me to live for you from now on. Amen. That's how the prayer is going to go. If that's the prayer you want to pray, then I'll pray it line by line. You can pray it along with with me in your mind. God will hear you and then we'll carry on with our service. So let's pray together. Here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that whatever I've done, I can be forgiven. Thank you for Jesus and for his death on the cross, paying the price for my sin. I turn to you now, making a fresh start and asking you to help me to live for you from now on. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer along with me, uh, then please do uh, tell me on the way. I'll just say uh, I'd like a booklet. Uh, I'd like to give you this book, uh, and uh, that will tell you more about how you can uh, uh, know this forgiveness and indeed how you can be going on uh, with the Lord Jesus. Uh, So thanks very much for listening. I'm going to ask you perhaps just to listen for a bit longer, not any longer to me, uh, but now uh, to Harry and the band as uh, we have uh, this song sung for us. You'll see it uh, on uh, the top of page four on your service order if you want to follow along. His forever. I'll hand over to the band. Thanks very much indeed.